Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 317 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. It's a banner day, I feel like. It is. We are doing listener questions today. Two episodes. So behind the scenes, we're recording today, this week's and next week. So we are just sitting here in a soup of your we're listener questions. We're stewing in your, in your queries, <laughs> um, marinating in them. But we've, you know, it's been kind of like a big couple of weeks around these parts. And so we love doing listener question episodes. They're, they're one of my favorites to do because it gets... It allows us to address like kind of micro topics sometimes yep. that we wouldn't necessarily give a whole episode to, although some of these really could be their own episodes, but um, it just allows us to like really address super specific questions in a way we don't always get to in the regular episodes, um, which is really, really fun. But we've also just had a lot going on behind the scenes. We have. So thank you so much to everyone who's been cheering us on and following along as we are growing our team. We announced that we're hiring for a few positions. And and when we say positions, a couple of these, I would say, are very low commitment ways to get involved that kind of um, increase as you move through the different opportunities. So now we have our work cut out for us, Megan. Yes, we got a lot of responses, like uh, over 200 mm-hmm. responses to the, yeah. yeah. So Um, So if you were one of those, we have gotten quite a few emails from people wondering if we got your um, application and it was via a Google form. So they don't send you an email confirmation, but as long as you, yeah, if you click submit um, and you got the little, you know, submitted page, we got you, we got you, but it's going to be a while before we, I mean, we really are going to have to wade through these things to give them justice or to do them justice. It's going to take us some time. So um, don't expect to hear from us very soon, but we got it and we're working on it. Yeah. And um, I think we put in there, um, we asked if July 5th worked um, as a timeline to get involved. Should you be chosen for one of these? And I just want to say there's no like first day of new position starting July 5th. That is, we are going to be spending the month of July onboarding some new contributors, communicating with people, but like, don't clear your schedules for that week. I felt a little bad. Like it's okay. Like it's, this is going to be a process that takes throughout the summer. And like you said, Megan, just have um, be patient with us. Watch our socials, our email newsletter, our Facebook group. You don't have to connect with us everywhere, but the more places you're connected with us, the more chance you'll see some updates as we move through this process. So hang out with us wherever you like to on the internet and we will keep everybody informed. And speaking of the Insta. I was just going to use that as a segue. Speaking of the internet. Yeah. 10,000. What a celebratory moment. Woohoo. So we got to 10,000 followers on Instagram and here's why that's important. I mean, honestly, Sarah, I don't feel like you and I are people who care about the vanity numbers. Um, no. Like we In don't fact, care about. It feels kind of gross to me. Right. Like, I know it but- does feel gross. Like we don't celebrate a follower number because like, oh, that makes us so popular. 
But having 10,000 um, followers on Instagram means we can do swipe up, which means yeah. that we can put links directly in our, just in our stories, right? We can't do them in uh -huh. regular posts. Right. Okay. So that means if we have something specific we want to share with you, we can put it right there in our stories. And that's huge. Like Instagram is a great platform, but one of the frustrating things, and I've been on it for many, many years on my personal and I have, you know, I'll probably never get to 10,000. And it is kind of frustrating when I really want to share something um, with people who follow me and I can't, I have to like send them to a different link to right. click a link. You know, or they like DM you. One, They'd be like, where yes, did you get your teapot? Me. Like, and yep. you have 42 DMs. I know that's like, this is a social media problem, but yeah, it's very convenient to have that swipe up. Yeah. So that was one of those things that we've been kind of like, we've had our eye on for a long time. And Sarah, I know you set some kind of aggressive goals with yourself because you're very goal oriented in that way. <laughs> um, I have no idea if we made that goal, but I do know that this is something we sort of had a serious conversation about like, man, we're so close. Let's just, you know, figure out what we got to do to get this in, in a authentic and not like we're not trying right. to game the system way. Just like, let's put some more content out and see if we can push over the edge. And, and last week we did. And that was exciting. It's just, it's just one of those nice little things that felt like a little, a little boot, a little bonus. Yeah. I, and I will say something else that feels a little weird about sharing follower milestones. In addition to it, just feeling kind of shallow and gross. The other thing is that those milestones are different for everybody, like what feels awesome. If you are a new entrepreneur or you're a blogger and you're just starting out, like you celebrating 500 followers would feel the joy and like satisfaction and accomplishment is equal to right. us reaching 10,000. And I remember when our friend Kendra from the lazy genius was celebrating a hundred thousand and we were like, yay. And so right. it, I think that's another thing that feels weird about it is like, I don't know, we have way more than a lot of people and way less than many of the, you know, the folks that you all follow on the Insta. So it's, it's very personal. And like you said, there's some practical reasons and also just like, yeah, it's a goal and we met it and we're celebrating. So hop on Yay. over to the Insta. We're 10.1 now, Megan, you were so worried we were going to fall back down below. Well, because now once you get over 10,000, it doesn't give you the exact number. It just says 10 K. And I was like, what if we're only at like literally at 10 K and then someone unfollows us and then we drop and we lose our swipe up. I'm not sure I could handle that kind of thing right now, but now we're at 10,100 plus. So yeah. I don't think Unless we really mess up, I don't think that's going to happen. Or Instagram changes their mind about their oh, benchmarks, which totally hush, hush, they hush, could hush. do. Um, so since this is a listener question episode, should we, before we move on, address a very um, common listener question that we get that has nothing to do with parenting? Please. We get this a lot and a lot <laughs> more lately because um, I think yeah. we have some new listeners. And that question is... Megan and Sarah, I use Apple or Spotify or Stitcher, and I cannot find episodes one through, I think it's like 158 right now. That is, you're not crazy. Um, the size of our RSS feed for our podcast is 300 episodes. And remember, we, we number our Tuesday episodes, but we, we don't number our voices and our more than moms and our bonuses. So we have actually 500 plus episodes that we've ever done. And doesn't matter which podcast app or distributor you use, you will only get 300. It's not Apple's fault in this case, although I do right. love to sometimes blame them for things. It's not <laughs> Apple or Spotify. It's the size of our actual feed. Is that what you'd call it? Yeah. Yeah. It's our feed. Yeah. It's, it's, too, it's too big. It's too big. So the handy answer is themomhour.com slash archives. There, there's lots of ways to navigate around our site based on what you're trying to do. But that page, themomhour.com slash archives, the reason I like it is you don't have to paginate forward or backward and click through. It is one scrollable long list of every episode in chronological order with, with the title. And then from there, if you open any one of those show notes, there's a media player that you can just hit play. You can even download the MP3. I don't think you would need to, but depending, you know, for offline listening or something. Yeah. Um, and you can do that on a phone or a tablet or a browser. And um, so that is if you're new or wondering where the early episodes are, um, that is how you get them. The momhour.com slash archives. And we'll put that in the show notes, too. So since we're talking about this, uh, I know we need to go to break. But um, since we're talking about this, this feels like a great time to mention the dream that we've mentioned. I think maybe I've been the one pushing for this for a long time. But we're now I think we both kind of feel like we want to make it happen is to have an app. Yeah. and. And I would love actually to hear what listeners would want to see in an app. Like, you know, one thing would just make it easy 
to make it really easy just to jump onto the mom hour and, and listen to whatever episode you want to, and maybe browse by topic or yeah. in some other way, kind of make that the listening experience a little mm -hmm. bit easier. But I'm also curious if people would want there to be like other content, a community aspect to it. Like if you could have the mom hour in an app and you didn't have to deal with going to whatever you're using to listen and then maybe to a different place to interact with us or whatever, what would you want to see in it? Yeah, I would Let love to know. hear about yeah. that too. I can, we, we, our archives are so vast, but that makes them kind of unwieldy. So I can see like playlists and like listener recommended playlists or like you yeah. make, you know, some, somehow getting the community um, involved in the conversation around the episodes, even the older ones, I think could yes. be so that helpful. Could be really fun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would love to hear about that. Megan, the end of the school year and kickoff to summer is a busy time of the year for families, but we can all eat stress-free and hit our wellness goals with ready-to-eat meals from our sponsor, Factor. Factor's delicious meals are never frozen and can be ready to eat in just two minutes. You can pick from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular choices like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Plus, they have more than 60 add-ons like breakfast, lunch, snacks, and beverages to keep you fueled all day long. So our team was comparing notes recently on our favorite factor meals, and Katie loved the herb-crusted chicken with mashed cauliflower and toasted almond green beans. I loved that one, too. And get this, so did her little boy, Charlie. She heated it up for lunch one day, and Charlie, who's three, ate almost all of the green beans. I mean, that's quite an endorsement, right? I was going to say, what a parenting win. <laughs> and I get it, Charlie. Those green beans are crazy good. And if you really want to treat yourself, they even have meals with filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. Listeners, head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour5050 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay. Well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the Forever Chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's fromourplace.com, code MOMHOUR. Okay, Sarah. So as we hinted before we went to break, um, this is a big topic. One that I, I have a feeling this is one of those where the answers from, like if you polled 100 moms how they feel about their kids and the cleanliness of their bedrooms, we'd get like a hundred slightly different answers. Mm -hmm. It just feels like there's no best practices. You know, there's no like um, standard that the AAP puts out um, about <laughs> how clean your kid's room should be. This is purely like a mix of like personal preference, probably what you grew up with, all those kinds of things. So um, this one came in via email. I think you're going to read it, but I, I, I can't wait to dive into this one. Yeah. And um, JoLynn sent this in actually like a year ago. So I found this one in our older listener questions and it was right before the pandemic when we started mm -hmm. taking questions that were a little more, I don't know, like pandemic related because everyone was going through this really intense thing. So I found it. It's about a year old. It's from JoLynn. And I'm actually, her email's a little bit long, but she brings up so many good points about 
the reason this is hard that I'm going to read the whole thing. And so we'll just get inside Joe Lynn's head because I have a feeling it is a lot of us. So, well, I, I also want to say that if Joe, if this was a year ago, I hope Joe Lynn is still listening and not buried under like a pile of clothes. Right. In her she kid's gave room up. or like she <laughs> you know broke her leg on a toy or something. And oh, she's just lying there where she fell. So Jolene, we hope you're still with us. I hope so. <laughs> okay. She says, I have a question on your thoughts on kids and their rooms. I have two boys who are 12 and eight. So now 13 and nine. Right? They each have their own rooms besides a place to sleep, get dressed, read, etc. This is also a space where their toys live since we don't have a designated toy room in our house. I am curious about your thoughts on kids and keeping rooms tidy. So the first thing I want to say is we are talking about 13 and nine year olds. Little different than if you have tiny kids. Yep. JoLynn says, I grew up with one, a toy room, which meant a lot of times the mess stayed out for days because it was a designated space. Since in our house, the kids' rooms are multifunctional, this is a little harder just to close the door and ignore the mess. Number two, I do not remember my mom instilling the best pickup habits with us as kids. Either we would leave it out until it got really bad or she would pick up after us. This made things really hard when I moved out on my own since the habits were something I had to learn. Number three, I remember in high school, my mom adopted the your room is your space, have it however you want it philosophy. I would let it get out of control, then spend hours making it super tidy only to have it become a mess again. Again, I never learned maintaining habits. So I, so I'm, this is me, Sarah, again. I really appreciate that background because I think so much of this does come from our family of origin and our own feelings about keeping tidy. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to kind of set that context because I relate to a lot of that, me mm-hmm. personally. Okay, JoLynn continues. Now that I'm a mom, I want to try to do things a little different. I really want to instill better habits in my kids than what was instilled in me so that adulthood doesn't smack them in the face like it did my husband and I. He too didn't have the best habits. I also am not going to be the maid who cleans up every mess in the house. On the other hand, I do understand sometimes you're in the middle of something and want to pick it up where you left off the next day. So for now, I require everything to be off the floors at least once a week so I can give the room a good vacuum. Of course, I get resistance. This is my room. I just remind them it's my house. Then there are the surfaces and closets, which they can trash pretty quickly. My oldest just piles things on top of his dresser, and that can drive me crazy, especially when it's trash or money that has a place. I'm just laughing. Like, why can't kids put trash in the trash? Like, Or money a in a right wallet there. or a yeah, exactly. piggy bank or something. Yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. She said, before they're 18, I do also want to add dusting and vacuuming to their list of things to do. But for now, I'm curious what the balance is. I know this can be very specific to personal preferences and standards. So what are your standards for kids' rooms? As kids grow, how do you handle purging? When they were little, I did it, but now I think they're old enough to make the decisions and also learn the valuable lesson of giving and having to let go of things eventually. Okay, so there's like stuff in here about um, like teaching kids skills, like purging and tidying. There's stuff in here about your own boundaries as a homeowner and like what's okay and not okay. And then I think what she's, what's coming through is this knowledge that, there's some independence that kids want and need about keeping their space, their space. And then all of that in the soup of family origin. So I, I know that was kind of a long setup, but it's a lot other. It's important because otherwise the question is, do you make your kids clean their room or not? Right. Yes right. Or no. Right. And, and this I feel is like, unpacking a lot. It's unpacking yeah. a lot. Before we answer, I'm curious, Sarah, what your, what your family of origin, like how, what, what was your mom's response to like your bedroom? And then what, how, were you a slob or were you a neatnik as a kid? So when JoLynn talked about her mom gave her the autonomy to have her space be her space, she would let it get super messy and then spend hours cleaning it up and then let it get super messy again. That's pretty much me. I had a lot of autonomy yeah. um, and I let my room get really messy, but I also enjoyed, I really loved the, the process of resetting my room. I I remember those days when I would spend hours cleaning and it didn't feel like it felt like um fun for me. I'd put mm-hmm. on music, yeah. I'd reorganize, I'd hang yeah. stuff Sometimes on the wall. Sometimes you'd move your furniture. Remember like yep. moving furniture around oh, your yeah. bedroom how fun that could be? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. um I had autonomy. I let my room get to be a pigsty. I'm sure my mom would say there were like some I do remember if we had a cleaning service, a cleaning person coming through the house they were not going to clean my room. And if I wanted right. my room vacuumed, I had to pick up. Um, but I think a lot of times I opted out. Um, I had my own bathroom, like a little ensuite bathroom. And I, my mom will have to remind me what the expectations were for that bathroom. 
um, and if like if I was required to clean it, because that's a little bit different. So there's probably some gaps in my memory, but basically I was allowed to have my room be however I want. And that is also where I lean as a mom today. But I say lean because I think there's a lot of caveats. So how about you? So I, um, I think when I was little, my mom was not controlling about my room, but she tried to help me be neater, Mm -hmm. you know, um, more reminders, more, more hands-on, like, let's get this up off the ground or let's like, but I don't remember my room ever being like out of control as a kid, as a teenager, I did have more autonomy and I spent a lot of time in my bedroom. So I do remember Mm -hmm having a lot of autonomy to kind of do whatever I wanted with it, but kind of wanting to keep it clean. Like not really, I don't like besides, you know, the piles of clothes on the floor and the stuff that's kind of teenagerish. I don't remember my room being like a pigsty. And then when, but every now and then it would get a little out of hand. It's not hard for that to happen. I I laugh sometimes if I have a day where I'm going out and I'm not sure what I want to wear. Um, and I try on four or five different things. My room will look like a hurricane just went through. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, it's just those four or five things. Mm-hmm. But now I have the wherewithal to go, okay, I should probably hang them all back up now before I regret that I didn't. But even, yeah. you know, I'm looking right now across my bedroom. There's two laundry baskets full of clean yet disheveled clothes because I've, I haven't hung them yet. And I've sort, like I've kind of dug through them. Um, I have a big bedroom, which makes a big difference. Like if you have a lot of space. Yeah. I had a relatively things are relatively spread out bedroom as a yeah. teenager. Now that I think of it. So I went to college and my roommate and I were disgusting slobs together. I do think much the way you and I trash hotel rooms together. There is something about having an equally free friend or mm-hmm. person that I can kind of just emulate that. But, but on my own, I'm pretty neat. And the reason that I'm bringing that up is because Jolyn mentioned like, kids not learning, um, like her feeling like she didn't learn how to, um, let's see, like to gradually clean as she went, you know what I mean? Like how to manage day to day. And I think there's ways to teach kids that, that ne- don't necessarily start in their own bedrooms. Like, I think yeah. there's ways to model that in other parts of the house. So that's kind of how I've leaned. And, and I guess to answer the question, I know we'll, we, we haven't gotten there yet, but we'll dig into that. I am very hands-off Unless it's a safety hazard yep. or a vermin problem. Yeah, which is a safety hazard which, because right, our right. mental health requires yes. that we do not have vermin in our house. Exactly. And I also <laughs> can see the difference. You know, now that I've had so much time with my kids or, you know, my youngest is 12 and I can see like the older ones. I've just had time with them to see how their habits are. I can see that there are some kids of mine who um, might let their room get a little out of control, but they they value cleanliness. So at some point they're going to clean it up, but I don't really need to say much. Like I, I can just let that happen. Like Will is one of those. Like mm-hmm. right now his room's kind of a mess. It's, he's been really busy lately. It's the end of school. He has a job. He's got friends. Like all this stuff is going on. It's summer here. He's just not spending as much time worrying about picking it up, but usually mm-hmm. he's pretty neat. He's like pretty mm-hmm. neat overall. So I know if he needs help, I might go, I might pop in and be like, Hey, you know what? Do you need help? It's been a little while. It looks pretty gross. Um, if he needs it, he'll ask for it, but I think it'll probably just get taken care of. Then you've got Owen who basically has a Spartan room. Like there's, there might be piles of clothes, but like he doesn't really spend time hanging out in his room and he doesn't add clutter. Like he just Mm kind of uses it to sleep, but then more tends to be down in the other area. And my kids have outgrown toys too. So, um, Jolynn, her kids are right on the cusp of outgrowing toys. And when they do that, sometimes that's a game changer because mm-hmm. if there's no toys, if that same kid doesn't start collecting, you know, tchotchkes or handwritten notes from school, that might be the end of clutter for them, you know, or yeah. they might start collecting other kinds of clutter so that they're like mm-hmm. that eight year old, you're going to see as they move out of toys, what do they move into? Mm-hmm. And some of my kids, they like Isaac never had anything in his room. He had a guitar in his clothes. And that was it. Like he didn't, yeah. he didn't have anything. So once he was out of Legos, there nothing really replaced that. Um, then you've got sweet Clara <laughs> and she needs help. Like she is such a collector. I want to use the word hoarder, but I'm yeah. not going to put that on her. <laughs> she doesn't. So she's got drawers stuffed with clothes that don't fit her anymore because she doesn't want to give them away because it's like giving away a piece of herself. So it's really hard for her to get rid of things. And girls just have more stuff. I feel like they just have more 
hair ribbons and like there's just more accessories going on in her life even at 12 than the boys had even younger than that. So Mm -hmm. there's just more and I feel she truly needs assistance. So this is a very long winded way of saying I don't want trash in my kids rooms. I'm pretty like I don't want them to eat in their rooms if they have candy or something, whatever the trash needs to get thrown away. I will be a stickler about that. I do not enforce vacuuming of their floors because then I have to enforce them picking their floors up. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to do that. Every now and then I have a cleaning service come through. They absolutely do not go in the kids' rooms. The kids' doors are shut. And the kids don't want them in their rooms. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but but that would not happen. And I kind of temper my, like, helpfulness and or paying attention to it based on the level of ability I think that kid has to keep their space manageable. And I keep telling Clara... You can't, you can't enjoy your room if there's boxes on the floor full of stuff you haven't looked at in three years, but you can't bear to get rid of, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's not enjoyable. How can I help you? But it's, so it's not about the mess. It's about helping them, I guess. Yes. Okay. That was very long winded. No, it was so good though. And so I'm going to try and distill a few things that like, I totally agree with. Um, And I'm going to hearken back to the episode we just (laughs) did. (laughs) I like that phrase about summer chores and responsibilities. And in that episode, we talked about how there's the thing where you want your kid to learn a skill, like how to run the washing machine or how to unload a dishwasher before they leave your house. And JoLynn says like, those are, there's some skills she wants her kids to have. But then there is the daily and weekly and monthly management of your house and expectations and rules. And I don't, I personally don't believe those two things are as intermingled as we might think. So for your kid to launch into the world knowing how to take care of things or tidy a space or run a vacuum or clean a toilet are all good skills, life skills to have. Um, but if it doesn't sync with your personality or your kid's personality to make them do that every week, I, I don't think those two things have to like be in opposition, if that makes sense. Yep, so I love totally the agree. focus. Yep. I love the focus on life skills. Um, and I will always kind of return to that. But I am like you, Megan. So just to, to plain answer the question, my I do not have any room tidying expectations on my children on a daily or weekly basis. They're not required to make their bed. They're not required to pick up their clothes or keep their floors clean. They're not required to vacuum on a weekly basis. I don't. I, the short answer is I don't make my kids clean their rooms. The longer answer is much like yours, which is. Um, starting around probably age eight is a good age, six, seven, eight, um, helping them exactly what you said, see the connection between the type of leisure way that they want to use their room, whether that's being creative with art or playing with Lego, or I, I want my kids to feel like their room is a space that they enjoy. And sometimes as a, as a parent, you have to really, like you said with Clara, really kind of force them to see that connection. They're, they're not going to see it on their own at six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, probably. So I would approach it exactly like you said, which is to say like, man, it would be really nice to have a big floor space here for you to do your Barbies. Can I, can I help you come up with a system or like, you know, I noticed that like, um, these art supplies, uh, there's a lot of broken crayons in here. Should we go through and make these really like really ready for you? And I, in that way, I have been hands on. First of all, I love a good organizing project. It's enjoyable for me. But that's a great way to help kids enjoy their space. And they, they're not mature enough to do that kind of thing on their own. So you are teaching and then they get to see the benefit of that. Um, like you, trash, food. There's some exceptions there. Um, and then with the teenager kind of, um, being available for those purging projects, we just did this with Allegra, actually, she really wanted a more minimalist. She had all this cluttered stuff, these snow globe collections that she'd kind of outgrown on her shelf. And, you know, when you're 13, your tastes are changing, your leisure activities are changing. And I could see in her face, the tension between how her room was functioning and how she wanted it to function. And that's where I, as a grown up can be a resource and kind of like a mentor, but that's different for me than like, you have to clean your room every day, which I, I mean, something could change. I could change my mind about this, but right now I do fall on giving my kids the autonomy to have their room, how they want it, including if that's a pigsty, um, and then helping them see both the natural benefits of a good purge or a good tidy and the natural consequences of losing money. Cause you 
threw it in the garbage on accident. Right. So yeah, ugh. yeah. I think I I tend toward hands off. Um, I have been reading a little bit more parenting books about teenagers lately because that's what I do. Um, and I'm just more and more remembering the amount of control and autonomy teenagers want and need. Yeah. So their bedroom feels like a natural space where it's like, well, like I, it, it's not a hill I'm going to die on to use your famous phrase, Megan. Yeah. When I look in there, sometimes I'm horrified, <laughs> but it, it, it isn't, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. And I, and just to circle back and now I'm probably repeating myself, but to circle back, um, those life skills around organizing, purging, tidying, decluttering, cleaning, actual dusting and, and vacuuming. I do feel like there are other opportunities for that that doesn't maybe yes. impinge upon their their autonomy in the same way that a forced room cleaning schedule might. So there you go. Um, that actually makes so much sense. So like, yes, like they can learn all of those things in another part of the house. And I think one thing my mom did really right, like the house the house I grew up in was always very clean. It was always neat and tidy. And like, it made sense. It was, it was organized to whatever degree it needed to be. I don't really know how organized my mom was. She wasn't someone who bought a lot of stuff. So we just didn't have that many things lying around. So I learned all of those things about caring for a space outside of my personal space that I think she was wise mm -hmm. to let me have control over as I got older. Um, within whatever her comfort level. I'm sure she had things about, you know, change. Like she was always big into like linen refreshes and stuff, which is probably why that's one of the only things I'll go in every couple of weeks and say, Hey, when was the last time you changed your sheets? Let's do that. And I just say very non, uh, or just matter of fact, like, Hey, throw, uh, throw your sheets, your bedding in the laundry chute and I'll make sure they get done tonight. And then often I'll kind of sneak in there and make their bed because I like to say to Clara, doesn't it feel so good when your bed is made? But that's uh -huh. not because I, need her to make her bed. I really don't care at her age. I certainly did not. Um, but I want her to have somewhere in the back of her head, that knowledge that like body, not like, you know, muscle memory of what it feels like yes. to have a nicely made bed when you walk in the room. And I think it's so super normal for preteens and teens to be super slobby. And I don't think it necessarily means they're going to turn into slobby adults who don't know how to take care of their spaces. I'm, I'm quite neat now. And yeah. I have to take care of a whole house. Yes. And I do it, you know, so um, the skills are there. I think sometimes young adulthood is not where you prioritize those skills. Yeah. So my house was a little messy when my kids were little and I was still trying to figure it out. But I yeah. got I got a hang of it and now it's not so. And remembering, yeah. too, that you can launch young adults. I mean, I haven't, but you have, Megan. One can launch young adults into the world imperfectly with an imbalanced yeah. set of skills like Jolyn felt ill-equipped in the tidying and purging and maintaining a clean space category. I bet she was incredibly well-prepared to launch as a young adult in certain areas. And she figured it out. Like she caught up. I didn't ever like, I, there's a lot of things I didn't know how to do after launching. And it's not my parents' fault. It's just what we, what I had practice for, what I was motivated. Right. Like young, young teenagers, tweens, kids are, their motive, when their motivation is there to learn, they're very bright. When they lack motivation for how to like organize a sock drawer, they don't care. Like, so I just, I, I know we said this in our chores episode too, but I, I resist a little bit the pressure to put out a perfectly well-rounded young adult in terms of life right. skills. Cause that's impossible. They'll, they'll, somebody will teach them in college. It doesn't all have to fall on you. And they might not care enough. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like they, they, it, it's not because you failed. It's because it didn't stick because they didn't care or because right. something else was more important. It's like your kids aren't going to all come out of school being equally great in English, math, you know, history, uh, art, like some things they're going to excel in and some things are not going to be their high, their strongest yes. suit. And that's the same for the life skills they learn from you. So yeah, there's time. Okay. There's always time. And there is always more time. Before we go to break, I feel like we have to end cap that because we both personally fall on the side of laissez-faire with regard to the room cleanups. I just will add that if your household is totally the opposite and you have high expectations for room tidiness, and I know a couple of parents like this, I think there are some great things that can come of that where you're teaching your kids accountability, you're teaching them to stick to a schedule, you're teaching them a lot of tidying skills. And maybe you, maybe they express their autonomy or you're laissez faire about something else. So I don't want to make yep. it seem like we're saying this is the only way to be. It happens to be the way that both of us are. 
But I think you can make an argument for, I think having expectations and standards for kids that they feel secure in knowing what's expected of them is, is great. We just, I just don't have that with bedrooms. I might have it somewhere else. So I, I want those who feel more, feel strongly about having kids keep a tidy room to know we're not saying don't do that. We're just, we're just sharing how we do. Yeah. And I think that that kind of goes right into the point that I made early, early, I think before we even went to the break, that this is not something where there's a best practice. Like there's no, right. uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics does not have an opinion. I don't believe on how much of an opinion you should have on the cleanliness of your kid's room. It's just, right. there's so many things that go into it. And so we're all allowed to be ourselves. Yes. Oh, I love that. We are allowed to be ourselves. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keeps pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids' vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. All right. Our next listener question comes from Cynthia and Cynthia left us a voicemail. So let's listen to that now. Hi, ladies. My name is Cynthia. I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And my question is, how do you deal with culture clashes when it comes to parenting? When, say, the grandparents have one idea that comes from their cultural background, in my case, uh, Chinese, and um, you have a different idea. Sometimes you were trying to make the point that it is important for a child to, say, to go to, like, in-person school. And they believe that it's more important for the child to be home. How how do you deal with that? Uh, what about um, feeding? Sometimes they don't understand why you want to give their the child more plant based proteins. They don't understand that plant based proteins are still proteins. They see it as a vegetable or a legume. How do you deal with that? Um, just wondering. Thank you so much. Okay, Cynthia, I love this question because I think that like these culture clashes can really happen almost with any kinds of differences. So it could be um, regional, which could be globally regional, or it could be like big city versus small town. It could just be generational. Um, It could be a different set of values. It could be like maybe someone marries into a different kind of value set than the one of their family of origin. So this happens to everybody. And I think that it's also 
it's not, it's one of those things where it's not easy, but it's simple. Like it's really hard to tell your parents or sometimes even harder to tell your in-laws um, or to disagree with them or to tell them that you're mm-hmm. going to do things differently than how they think you should. But like, it's also simple, you know, like once it's done, it's done. And I, I think that um, moms that I've talked to over the years have had really just very kind of matter of fact approaches that I think work the best where it's like, um, thank you for the information. That's not how we're doing things. Or thank you for the information. I'll take that into consideration and then move on. Like there's so Mm -hmm. many ways that you can kind of make this conversation, not a thing, but the way to make it not a thing is to make it not a thing. And I don't know how to like do that if it's your parents and, and part of your culture is maybe really listening to what they have to say and really respecting that. That's where the additional yeah. cultural clash becomes even more um, loaded. Yes. Yeah. I I am so curious. I mean, I know Cynthia a little bit. She's active in our listener Facebook group and has shared some background on her family. But I feel like my answer to this would be so dependent on a couple of things. One, what is the relationship between... Um, you and your parents or you and your in-laws or you and the like culturally different people with a set of opinions. If it's an everyday, um, all the time, you're hanging out a lot and they're making a lot of comments. Um, I also think it depends on, are they commenting out of genuine care and curiosity? Yeah. And there's a little bit of just a generational difference Or is this something a little more toxic where they really are undermining the choices you've made? So I think there's so many layers to this interpersonally that have a lot more to do with like a lot more to do with very complicated relationships we have as we get older. But one thing I was thinking is it would be helpful to have two or three, like you said, Megan, like catchphrases that you're able to repeat in a non-attached way. Like you said, thanks so much. We feel good about how we're doing things for now. Um, I think you can say that in a friendly way and also say it in a way that does not invite further commentary. So if you're too nice about it or too um, accommodating, it may seem like you are unsure of your choices or you are looking for second opinions. So if you can find a way and I can't give you the words because, again, these are so personal, but something I'm thinking like, thanks so much. We've talked to our doctor and we feel really good about what we're doing for now, but just enough to shut it down to where you're not. You're not saying, oh, tell me more about that article you read (laughs) or tell me more about how they used to do it um, where you grew up. Now, maybe you are curious. I remember, I think it was in our Facebook group, someone made the point that sometimes older generations just want a chance to tell you what it used to be like. And I I admit, like, I even, we are like that sometimes. We're like, well, back in our day, like, we couldn't give our kids peanut butter till they were two. And remember that? So maybe there's one relationship or one situation where that person just wants to feel heard. And you can say, wow, that is so different from the recommendations that are coming out today. I'd love to hear more about that. Now, it's not going to change what you're doing, but maybe that person would feel kind of heard or included. I think here's another one. I think sometimes the grandparent generation can feel a little self-conscious or judged because if you're doing something different with your toddler, yes. they wonder, do you think they, they were a bad What they mom? did was wrong. Because yeah. guess what? Being, being afraid of being a bad mom, I don't think it ever goes away. Like nope. you could be 82 and be like, oh, shoot, like I gave you all whiskey when you had sore throats. And like, that's a terrible thing <laughs> Wait, to do. Wait, you're not are supposed you, to do that anymore? <laughs> are you judging me? And so maybe they would, you know, like there's no judgment. You did what you did. And thank you so much for raising me. Thanks so much, right. mom. This is how we're being, you know, this is how we've chosen to do it now. So, I mean, that was like a whole bunch of things that may not apply to Cynthia at all, because maybe those aren't things she feels she can say to her parents. But I think whatever you feel like you can say, keep it brief, keep it consistent. And then, Megan, you said the the most genius thing, which is this is a practice when you show not tell. But when you show not tell that you and your partner, your co-parent, are like on a path with this kid, whether it's sleep or feeding or discipline or screen time, and you show not tell that this is the choice you've made, you feel reasonably good at about it. I don't know that we always that any of us ever feels like a hundred percent secure, but that you feel reasonably secure. Your kid is happy. You can show that you have a good relationship with your partner and that you're aiming for a good relationship with these grandparents. That is something that you're sort of 
practicing over time that is way more impactful, I think, than any one liner you can or big conversation you can have. You're just you're living it. You're living the fact that this is your baby. You're going to do things your way and you're going to do it in a way that's loving and accepting of of everybody. Yeah. Um, that's so, so much to unpack there, Sarah, because <laughs> honestly, because this is so complicated, it's not just about differing opinions. It's about how are those ex- opinions expressed? What's the relationship you have with the opinion yeah. ha- holder? You know, all those things. Is there another entity or set of entities whose opinions are clashing? I'm thinking of in-laws, yep. you know, maybe there being some grandparent tension because one set of, you know, grandparents thinks one thing and another one thinks the other. And I think that sometimes the least said the better. Um, mm-hmm. One of the very specific things that Cynthia brought up was like, you know, the, the food that you feed your child, um, uh, what kind of proteins they're getting and whether that's something that your parents be- believe is good for kids or believes is what you believe it is or whatever. That's such a specific and like detailed thing. I'd almost err in the side of don't talk about that. Like if there's a way to not have that conversation, just don't have that conversation because then it's almost like, you know, when you're trying to shut somebody down, who's like, just wants to argue with you, Mm -hmm. the less ammo you give them, the better. Mm -hmm. So the more details you give, the worse off you're going to be, because then that gives them something else to respond Mm -hmm. to, to have an opinion about. And there's like no end of things you can have an opinion about. And the more details you bring up, the more it may seem like you are interested in what they have to say about it. or don't feel super confident in your position. So again, without knowing what this relationship is like and without knowing, is this like a control freaky thing or just like a, you know, parents, like you said, grandparents who want to talk about how things were when they were kids um, or when they were having kids, it's hard to know the exact approach to take. But I think just coming forward with that confidence and sort of this matter of factness um, can help. And the other thing, just to kind of wrap this all up is Sarah, you and I did a topic, uh, an episode about, um, judge, like being judged, Mm -hmm. judging and being judged. And it's been a long time. I want to say it was like pre COVID. Yeah. I I know we have one called when you feel criticized, remember this, maybe that was one, that one. And then there's another one about judgment and mom shaming, but I do think it was at the beginning of COVID listeners. You probably okay. remember our stuff more than oh, we do, but yeah, it I wasn't can link that to one. everything. Okay. Okay. That one I think was pretty COVID specific. So the one I'm thinking of is the one when it says, when you feel criticized, remember this. And one of the points we made in that episode was that sometimes feeling criticized is true. Like sometimes mm. we really are being criticized or maybe not even like judged, but like, um, uh, underestimated. I know that's a mm-hmm. big trigger for me is if I feel like someone else doesn't know that I did all the work and like, yeah. I already thought of this or like that I'm smart enough to figure it out on my own, then that's a big trigger for me. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's my perception. Sometimes mm-hmm. my perception is that because this person has an opinion, that means they think my opinion's wrong or I didn't think it through. And I have to sometimes step back from those situations and go, no, that's not actually not the case. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it is the case, you know? So I think that's always a good mental exercise to add to that bag of tricks. Um, the muscle memory of just being able to quickly sum up, like, am I actually being criticized or do I just feel like I'm being criticized? And those are two different things. Totally. Yes. Well, Cynthia, you're not alone and there's no way we could possibly cover like the different types of relationships people have. But I just know that there's so many. And, and Megan, you and I only have one set of parents and in-laws in our in our parenting history. And ours are very different from each other. But we yeah, I, whenever we answer questions like this, I always I'm very aware that like we're not addressing like those really toxic or passive aggressive relationships. I don't have those. Right. I'm, I'm thankful, but I don't have advice for like some of the scenarios that could come up. So hopefully we were helpful in a general way, I hope so. Right. Yeah. Okay, so this next question comes from Katie, and it's about something that is surprisingly hard to navigate sometimes, especially when you're not used to it or practice at it yet. And that is, um, okay, so your kids are in preschool or maybe early elementary, and they want to hang out with someone that they've become friends with in school. Like, now what? What do you do? So let's listen to her question. Hi, Megan and Sarah. It's Katie. I'm mom of three-and-a-half-year-old Braylon and nine-month-old Cora. 
And my question for you guys today is about playdates with kiddos from school. Uh, my three and a half year old, for the first time the other day, asked me about having one of her friends from school over to play. Um, and I haven't had a chance to really meet any of the parents at school, except for random crossing here and there at pickup, since school hasn't been doing a lot of activities with COVID. So I'm just not sure how to uh, approach setting up a play date, if people are comfortable with a play date, um, how to even get a contact information, uh, how to go about setting up a play date with a friend from school. Okay, I can take this one first. First of all, I'm I'm really excited that at least where I live, I'm starting to see more playdates in preschool. And depending on where you are in the country, hopefully this is an opportunity for all of our young kids to get back to a little bit of post-COVID normal. Um, when you're the first time you're going through this, like just like Katie says, like she doesn't even know how to get the other mom's name and phone number. So there's a lot of practical things. And then there's a few more things that I would put more under like the social emotional in the social emotional bucket. So practically, I think your preschool teacher or your preschool administration is a great place to start. I have found they they have to um, keep privacy in mind. They sometimes can't share phone numbers and emails. I, in fact, they shouldn't without the other parents permission. But there may be a class list fo- uh, floating around There may be some kind of online portal that people can opt in, or you may just be able to have a conversation and be like, hey, I'm hoping to set up a play date for my daughter and -and so-and-so. What's the next, what what should I do? Like, and they might say like, oh, that, that kid gets picked up, you know, by the babysitter, but the mom does drop off. So I usually see her in the morning. Like you might have to be a little detective sleuth, but that would be first and foremost is just find out a friendly way to get that person's information. And you have to kind of, be brave if that kind of social um, outreach it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Everybody has been in that boat. Um, and the next thing I would say is be ready for that interaction with the other mom to go a number of different ways. Um, not everybody is as excited about playdates as your daughter might be um, or as you yeah. might be. Um, I'm thinking of those of us when we have our youngest kid in preschool. This is like such a joke that it's become like a meme. But like when your youngest kid is in preschool and early elementary, you have done so many playdates and birthday parties like you are just done. You don't need any more mom friends. And I can totally relate to this. Like you're kind of you're in such a different headspace than when it's your first kid in preschool. So I would say don't take it personally if it takes a few tries to find somebody that's a good match both for you as a mom um, and your daughter. And the other thing that's come up for me before is full time working outside the home two-parent full-time working families have been harder to set up playdates with in times where I was either a stay-at-home or a work-from-home mom. And and that had nothing to do with me. I couldn't take that personally. Um, when when there's two-parent working full-time outside the home and the preschool is the childcare, there may be very little bandwidth for those types of social um, playdates and, and don't take it personally. So I would say find the person's phone number, try try your best to get in touch, don't take it personally if it's kind of feels like a bust the first time or if you get together and like you're not crazy about the other mom, that's OK, too. This is a lot of like a lot of trial and error. Mm. And then the last thing I was going to say, because we are talking about preschoolers, um, she mentioned having another kid over to her house, I think, in that message. And I would just say that like offsite offsite locations work great for preschool playdates, yes. especially for those initial um, meets. It's, it's yes. nice to have like a place with a play place or like a park or something like that. It, it, it's a good neutral space. And sometimes your kid might think they really like a classmate and then they get together without yes. like little kids brains aren't necessarily thinking it all through. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like someone liked them and wanted to hang out with them. And that day they were like on their list, but that doesn't mean they're going to be fast friends. So I think that like a neutral, if you can swing it, like a yes. neutral gathering place is great because they might not actually get along that great when it's just the two of them, or they might've already moved on. Like by the time the parents yes. actually make yes. the thing happen, I've had times before where my preschooler is all hot and bothered to get this date on the, on the books. And by the time the two moms or the mom and the dad or whoever end up actually putting it together, they're kind of over each other. Yeah. Like it's cooled. Or they're fighting and then that's like awkward for the parents. So yes, I was going to say like a neutral location, 
a short, like a set time that's short, like an hour. And then even, um, even a specific activity you're doing, like we're going to go ride the train together at the little train park, or we're going to like bring these giant bubbles, or we're going to do like having one little activity that's fairly neutral also will help with some of that awkwardness, especially like if you're expecting the two little three-year-olds to run off and play together on the playground, they may or may not, just like you said. And then you're like, it's public parenting again. You're awkwardly navigating like fights or arguments or yeah. So I'm empathizing a lot with Katie because she's just at the beginning of all this, but this for sure gets easier with time. And especially if you can Um, remember that this doesn't have to be the mom or the dad doesn't have to be your new best friend. Your your preschoolers friendships will ebb and flow. So you're entering a new phase, which always feels a little nerve wracking, but you'll get so much better with practice, especially if you don't take any of it too personally or too seriously in the beginning. Absolutely. And I just want to add one other little tip on the practical side. Um, Preschool is a little young for this, although not necessarily kind of depends on the kid. But I made sure my kids all had my personal phone number memorized really young, like as young as and there's a lot of safety reasons why it's a good idea Mm -hmm. for them to have those numbers memorized. Sometimes preschool classrooms or kindergarten will prioritize that anyway. Although I wonder how weird that's gotten now that like parents typically have two different numbers and nobody has a home phone anymore. But I mean, that all said, my mine was the number that kids memorized. I knew that I'd be the one even when I was still married. Um, I was the one who was more likely to be in town and available during the day to deal with anything that might come up. So having that number memorized, I remember telling Clara, like she would sometimes just hassle me about wanting to get together or Owen wanting to get together with a friend. And I would just finally be like, just write down my number and give it to them Mm -hmm. and tell them to give it to their mom. And if I hear from them, I hear from them. And sometimes I would. And that was a pretty good indicator that the other kid and yes. the mom were both equally in, interested in making this happen because, again, sometimes ki- little kids say stuff to each other in a passing way. <laughs> and one kid might really want this like hangout to happen and the other kid doesn't care or the other kid's mom is not in a position where they want to do it right then. So I always yeah. felt like taking charge a little bit by being the one to pass out the digits um, then kind of was like that that then allowed them to decide if they really wanted to make this happen. And then when they would text me, then I would get in touch right away. So yeah, just another so little smart. tip. I'm yeah. laughing. Like, don't you feel like kinder and first are the two years where kids start to make crazy, um, like cockamamie plans all on the playground. And then you hear about them like half baked yes. at home and you're like, so-and-so's having a sleepover. And you're like, right. I don't, I don't think we do sleepovers in kindergarten with like families we don't know. And you're like, no, it's definitely happening on Friday. This right. Friday, there's a sleepover. And then like, there's no, I mean, they, it's so funny. They're into they're They think they're mature enough to like come up with plans. And you hear about it, uh, you know, as we know, through the like very fuzzy filter of a kinder or first graders reporting yes. home. And it can be very confusing. So Well, and even, I mean, that just kind of, to me, hammers home the point that it's valuable to get your hands on other parents' numbers or for them to have their hands on yours even if you have no intention of actually setting up a play date, because then you can kind of like get in front of some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've had my kids come home from school convinced there's going to be a party <laughs> Yeah. like at our house that night because <laughs> them and the other friend like planned a party at, at my house. And then I have to, if I have a, the ability to text the other parent and just kind of be like, Hey, do you know what they think is happening? It's a lot of like, what do they think is happening and what's reality? And like, how do yeah. we make those two things jive? So, um, yeah, the more information, the better. And even though it can be awkward, I think the more communication, the better. Yeah. And and let, uh, just to go right back to where I started, when it is preschool, involve that preschool teacher because they can always say, oh, I'm so sorry. Our policy is not to get in the middle of playdates right. or not to pass numbers along. And and you're, you didn't do anything wrong. They're just telling you that's their policy and they might have that policy. But I could see a scenario where they're not going to give you the other mom's phone number for privacy reasons. But they might pass along yours because the kids are too little to memorize. But you you might say, you know, I've been trying to get in touch with this set of parents and I'm having trouble. Um, if if you feel it's appropriate, maybe I could tuck this note in the kid's lunchbox. And and if the preschool teacher says, no, that's against our policy, you didn't do anything wrong. You're just trying your various, various avenues. So Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, good luck, Katie. I'm glad you get to have play dates. Um, okay. Well, Megan, it's time to wrap up. We are back next Tuesday with more listener questions. We love to do these in batches of two. 
And you all can send your questions to us anytime. We do this every three months in batches of two. We're pretty regular about it, but you can send your questions anytime by voicemail or email. We'll put a link in the show notes for how to do that. Um, But in between, we have a More Than Mom coming up this Sunday. So definitely look for that in your podcast feed in just a few days. And Megan, this was fun. We'll talk to everybody soon. Talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hi everyone, Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening and leave the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us and it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button and then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.